Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Be Better Tomorrow podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fisher. Today, we're talking to Rachel Kershaw of Greater Columbus Consulting. She's a business consultant with years of experience, a former coworker of mine, and a good friend. She specializes in all kinds of businesses, but is especially passionate about social enterprise and nonprofits. She thinks small businesses make all the world a better place. We get into a ton of topics today, including big mistakes people make, how we waste our time chasing things that we shouldn't be chasing, and how to even be passionate about the job that you're in and find out what's important to you. Well, let's not waste any more time hearing from me. Let's hear from Rachel. All right, Rachel, I just gave your brief introduction in the intro, but why don't you tell the audience how you want them to know you? So yeah, I'm a business consultant and I really like helping people clarify their focus, get organized and grow into a sustainable force for good. I think that small businesses really make the world a better place. I really love helping them be successful and sustainable. And I know it can be really daunting starting out, but I really believe everyone can be successful if they find a mission that really speaks to them. So there's a lot there to unpack. So when you talk about a force for good, what all kinds of things can that mean? That can mean anything. I really believe that like whether what you're doing is cooking, when you're cooking, you're definitely making the world a better place. Like say you want to open a restaurant or be a caterer or whatever, you're usually either ensuring that people had a wonderful evening or you're giving them a portion of your culture or you're sharing something about yourself. And all of those things make the world a better place. If you're doing something like jewelry, you're making people feel beautiful. That makes the world a better place. And then obviously, I mean, I think nonprofits are pretty self-explanatory. They literally have missions to make the world a better place. And social enterprises are just, they're great. They help us live our lives and do the normal consumerist thing that we have to do and make sure that every bit of that is still deliberately serving some mission, some greater purpose. And they call it out on purpose, unlike some other businesses. But every business can be a force for good. And I think that's what people really want. They want meaning in their work. They're not going to work for themselves to do something meaningless. Yeah. I really love the evolution recently of those those social enterprises. You know, I think Tom's was the first one I really heard of that made that very clear with what they were trying to do. The shoes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, I mean, a lot of big companies are making bigger deals out of their charitable efforts and things along those lines. But Tom's was kind of the first one I saw, but there's been a ton since then. I mean, every, almost every other thing on Shark Tank is we, we, for everything we sell, we give one away, which I think is great. It gives people that opportunity, like you said, to not really change their habits. I'm just going to buy from a different place, like going to smile.amazon.com. It automatically gives a certain percentage to my charity. Right. Yeah, I I love that. Change that one thing. And it worked out really well. Yeah. No, I love Smile. Um, And I love Columbus. It has such a strong social entrepreneurship uh, community. There's a ton of them here in town. Like you can get everything from a a housekeeper to a cupcake and it will be a social enterprise if you are a deliberate consumer and, and you're seeking those sorts of businesses out. And honestly, just by living here, you're probably interacting with more of them than you even realize. That's true. I think Columbus is a really neat city for those types of things. Mentioning Columbus, you and I actually work together. You're my first guest that I that I don't know through Toastmasters <laughs> before that. Um, actually, you were, you were Toastmasters, I think, before I even got there, right? Didn't you do it for a little bit? I've definitely attended some of the Toastmasters while we were hosting it at the place we both worked at. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, okay. I definitely attended a few. <laughs> I never actually spoke at Toastmasters. Okay. Well, that's fair. But 
we did work together, but you have a pretty interesting story about how you moved from that typical nine to five job. Well, probably longer than that for, for the type of business that we were doing, but to taking off and creating Greater Columbus Consulting. Can you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Let me back up and, and talk about the place we used to work together. So when I started there, it was a very small startup. I was only five years into my career and I honestly didn't seek out a startup life or anything on purpose. This was 2003. That wasn't yet so much a thing. But because it was such a small company when I started there, I had the privilege of being a part of its growth from that early stage where I think I was employee number, I don't know, 23. And through several expansions, large investments, and then eventually it got bought out. I think that the title of your podcast speaks a lot about exactly how my career went that whole be better tomorrow, I got my greatest opportunities because I would notice something small that we hadn't yet addressed. Um, and there was always new things because we were a startup and we were growing. It was never enough people to go around. <laughs> There's never enough people to go around, even as we expanded. But there would be something that hadn't yet been taken care of. And I would convince the company to let me pursue it. So I got to serve a ridiculously wide variety of key roles as the things we needed and the challenges we faced grew within that company. Eventually, obviously, we were not a small startup and the next rung in the corporate ladder would have been C-suite because I was already pretty high up in the company. At that point in my life, it no longer fit my personal definition of being better. Being C-suite did not seem like a more interesting challenge or a more useful challenge to me personally right then. And I had gotten to see a lot of different things through the years. I was also lucky in all of those years um, because we worked with a lot of small businesses. So I had gotten to see and understand a really wide variety of small businesses who are our customers. Over time, I got clearer on what really makes me excited, what really makes me tick. I firmly believe, uh, and I've said this probably a couple times already just in this podcast, but um, I really think that success comes down to focus and mission-driven focus, specifically being the most effective. I also realize that nobody's an expert in everything and that having a good method for sorting through the new topics and challenges was one of the things that was my superpower. Quickly determining when to call an expert is a superpower, and it is very, very useful to a wide variety of small businesses and executives at all different levels. I really like new challenges, if that isn't obvious, from the fact that I kept picking out new ones for myself while I was there. Yeah. <laughs> and I love getting into the nuts and bolts um, what specific things matter to a particular small business, what specific metrics are a good measure of their success and their ability to be sustainable, what they need to be basically focusing on in order to really achieve their mission. And I really get a lot of satisfaction out of helping small businesses and individuals walk away having learned something, basically no longer needing my advice. Okay, I'm gonna stop a second. This podcast is really directed to distinct groups of people, which is goes against your, your focus advice, I understand. But <laughs> it's those people who want to be better at what they do within, within their company and also people who have a side hustle or, or want to do something on their own. And I think this is part of that message to those people who, are, who want to do something in the company that they're in. They're perfectly happy. I'm perfectly happy with my company. So I'm one of those people. If you can find something that needs done and you can address that issue, you can make yourself valuable. 
Absolutely. You create a brand of, of the person who gets things done, even if you don't know exactly how to do it and you're not an expert in that particular area, you can still make yourself valuable by pulling the people in that might be able to solve the problem and you're the person who still got the problem solved. Right. Absolutely. And just that curiosity and the, and the seeing the problem and focusing on a problem that needs attention that nobody else is paying attention to, that's a good way to make a name for yourself. It's a good way to get noticed. It's a good way to, like you said, be valuable, but it's also a good way to take sort of personal responsibility. You know, people talk about, you know, my company's not creating opportunities. Well, what are you doing to create an opportunity? What learning are you doing? Well, my company doesn't pay for paid training. All right, what at your company is interesting and would you like to learn? It drives me nuts. I, I've listened to so many people complain about that kind of stuff. I'm like, it's, it's not the company's job to, to take care of you. You are responsible for you. You have to do what you want to do. I learned that early because I, I worked in a building where the whole company got laid off. Like our company was, a, was in the same building, but it wasn't my company. And after seeing that, I'm like, you know what? I thought that was safe because my parents worked at the same place their entire careers. But I realized very quickly, that's, that's not the way it is anymore. You've got to take care of yourself and own your own development. And maybe that's a challenge that we both uh, got to learn some valuable advice from because I, I, I absolutely lived through some layoffs. Uh, one of the first companies I worked for got acquired by what was eventually known as WorldCom and made some headlines for the number of layoffs they had to do. Yeah, true. And it definitely uh, was, a, was a changing time back then because, yeah, yeah, it, it did seem back in the 90s when I got that job like I could work here forever. To be honest, that did not excite me even then. <laughs> But I did expect to be able to leave on my own terms. And sure. so, you know, when you're doing a good job, you haven't done anything wrong to have the rug pulled out from under you through no fault of your own. It's terrible. And, and you know, mad props to the companies who do not behave that way and the ones that do provide in-house and paid training opportunities and career growth. And I wish every company did that, right? Absolutely. And it's great for them to do that. It's how, how they set themselves apart as, a, as an employer because I want to go work for those kind of companies, but it's not their key responsibility. Even if you aren't lucky enough to work for a company that does provide in that way, you can still make your own opportunities. You can still invest in your own career development. It does take your own time, but if it's interesting and exciting, which hopefully whatever you're pursuing in your career is, hopefully it's also fun, you know? And I think that that's a big key. If you're going to start developing yourself outside of your normal job, even if it's for your job, finding a way to do something you enjoy. Like I started doing podcasts first with my daughter to test things out. Then I started to be better tomorrow. And now my company wants to start a podcast. Well, who did they come to? They came to me, not, not because I'm an expert, because I'm not, but I do know how to do a few things. In fact, they're, they were going to hire somebody to install, uh, it's a little technical, but to install the WordPress plugin. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, well, if you use WordPress, what, what plugin are you using? Oh, that's the one I use. I've installed that a couple of times. Oh, do you want to do it for us? I probably could. I'd be a little nervous because I don't know the system all the way, but I made that opportunity there. Now I can be known as the person who got that thing done and at least contributed to, there's plenty of other people involved that contributed to this new thing that we're, we're doing. And now a whole bunch of more potential listeners for your podcast are opened up too, because they know now all of your coworkers will know that you're the guy with the podcast. <laughs> That's my hope. We'll see. At least I can get a few folks to listen that I know besides my mom. Hi mom. Well, and hopefully also whatever you're doing for career development is fun just for your own personal success. I mean, success is not just money, just like I don't think a successful company is focused just on money. I don't think anybody actually wants money for 
money's sake. I think that's obvious, right? You want money so that you're secure. You want money to be able to send your kids to college, which really is security for them and a better life for them or opportunities for them. Like, which really, you know, the way that you think about what money will open up for you, that tells you something about what you enjoy and what will really feel successful to you, right? Is success a bunch of grandkids, none of whom have to worry about college? Is success traveling the world? Like, it's different for everybody, but it isn't just a pile of cash. That's no, not what anybody wants. Nobody wants to Scrooge McDuck and really just roll around money. That's <laughs> it's not doing in my head every time, too. Yeah. I mean, maybe <laughs> once, just to say you did, but... <laughs> uh, just sitting there, it's not, it's not really benefiting you in any way. I mean, maybe that's a small business idea. Just open up a money pit for people to swim around. <laughs> Unfortunately, you'd have to search people too closely as they left. But Absolutely. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, about the actual consulting you do. You've, you've worked with a lot of businesses in your previous life, and I'm sure now as you're, as you're consulting. What are, some of the, what are some of the problems or errors you see businesses when they're getting started uh, facing? So I think the biggest thing I see... Uh, it's it's three things, actually, but they're all very interrelated. A lot of small business owners try to do it all on their own. They try to be very frugal, and they try to get it right the first time. Uh, two out of three, you got me. Okay. <laughs> uh, and like I said, these are all interrelated, and they're super common, so nobody should feel bad if that resonates. <laughs> that That means, yep, you're a small business owner, especially because the kind of person who wants to start their own business and makes the leap into entrepreneurship in the first place. Like you're starting a business usually out of some deeply personal vision and with very limited funds. It can be scary to open it up to feedback when you're not exactly perfectly certain of everything, but you want that vision that's in your mind. Like you want that deeply personal vision. So because you don't have all the details figured out, You're compelled to try and do it all on your own because you're sure that that's the only place the vision is. You know that you're not great at explaining all of the details because you're trying to get it right the first time. Because you don't have all the details figured out, you're even more likely to try and do it all on your own. If you did let other people in, maybe it'd be easier to figure out all of those details. And it can be scary to open it up to feedback. Like, what if that person that you brainstorm the details with has a very different vision in their head? It's scary to consider spending money when you're not 100% certain that all of your details have been worked out right. Like, what if that money could have been better spent a different way if only you thought about it a little bit longer? Um, And you haven't made any money at the very beginning, so it's extra scary because you don't know that that money is going to replenish itself in any way. Not for sure. Sure. So how do you go about convincing people that they they need to give up some of the do-it-on-your-own and they need to maybe spend a little money to make a little money. I'm asking mainly because I want you to convince me. (laughs) Uh, I guess a key for me is to point out that money is a thing that we certainly know a couple of ways how to make, right? Presumably most of us had a job at some point before we went out to work on our own. So we know we can make money at that. You could be a Lyft driver. You could go babysit. I mean, we know ways to make more money. But you cannot make more time. I don't know anybody who knows how to make more time. So use your time frugally. And if you're stuck in your head with trying to nail down all the details, the only way to speed it up is to get another brain working on it, right? I think that's really good. I don't want to to speed past that. 
because oftentimes we think of money as a finite resource, um, especially if you've ever come from a tighter background. You right. So where that where the next meal is going to come from, that sort of thing. It's it's even more important for those of us who are maybe further along in their careers and further along in life. When you're 20, you've got you can stay up 20 hours and get things done. You've got more time and less money. But as you get older, you have less time and you have more money, hopefully. Hopefully. But even if you don't, the scarcity mindset that we have about money, especially if we've been through periods where there wasn't a lot of it, it, it's deeply affecting to people to have ever not had money. And that scarcity mindset can be intense, the, the amount of effect it'll have on people. But what's really interesting to me is that unless we know, like, we're diagnosed with a chronic illness or we go have our fortune read and somebody says we're going to die in the next year. We don't tend to have a scarcity mindset about time and time we know for sure is finite, right? We know there's only so much of it and not only only so much of it in life, but as you mentioned, especially as we get older, there's only so many hours in a day that any one of us can be meaningfully useful, (laughs) And everybody only gets 24, but like you said, a 20-year-old might be able to be active in some way, doing something that could be considered useful for, who knows, 26 of those hours, or not 26, sorry, <laughs> 22 of those hours. Right. But yeah, a little later in life, you're not going to be meaningfully active for 22 hours in a row, at least not more than one day in a row. It's not going to happen. So um, there's a guy named Austin Cleon. He wrote a book called Steal Like an Artist. It's mm-hmm. a little tight, like it's a six by six book. It's a little square. It's, but one of the things that always sticks out to me when we have these kind of conversations, he said, everyone should read obituaries because they're like near death experiences for cowards. Fair. And, like, and know, true, right? I mean, you hear about those people that, you know, they find out they're going to die and then they finally go do all the things they wanted to do and, and we're putting off or they have a near death experience and their life is revitalized, but not all of us have that blessing in disguise. We have to, look to other ways to motivate us to, to step out and do these things that we may be nervous about and, and take that risk, especially for right. natural risk takers. And I'm not a natural risk taker. Me neither. I'm actually very risk averse. But the thing is, I mean, I'm not saying go do something crazy and put your house at risk without thinking it through. But what I am saying is don't limit yourself by trying to do it all on your own. Don't take just an extra year to think about that business plan and firm up that idea while you save up a little more money, even though you're not sure why you would need it because you're not done with that business plan yet. It would just feel more safe, right? Right. Get the extra pair of eyeballs, call an expert, call your friends, call anyone. Employ some experts, employ some assistants, just don't spend time you don't need to. And they don't have to be full-time. Nobody has to hire an employee. You know, just two episodes ago, I talked to a friend, uh, Victoria Murray, who's a virtual assistant. She started that company on her mm-hmm. own, and she does a lot of bookkeeping and customer right. relationship management for people. So if you want to step in with somebody who already knows what they're doing and have the advantage of their expertise, you can do that at, a, at an hourly rate that's, that suits your needs. And also, you know, I'm talking about hiring experts and assistants, and that's important. And I'm talking about talking to your friends, and that's important. 
But there's also this step you can take of just reaching out and seeing who's willing to have coffee for free. Now that is still spending your time, but at least you're getting some expert advice um, or at least finding out whether or not you can get a little bit of expert advice. A lot of people will share a lot of what they know because they enjoy talking about it and that won't even cost you money. Yeah. A pro tip if you do that, follow up on whatever they tell you and tell them that you did so and how it turned out. Because sure. I think I've talked to a lot of people who've, who get asked out for coffee a lot and their big pet peeve is nobody ever does what I ask them to. They're looking for a, a magical pill to swallow that's just going to make them successful. Right. And there isn't one, unfortunately. No. No. Um, yeah. It's, it's disappointing to really spend your time connecting with somebody and giving them advice and then have them not follow through, which isn't to say that you have to take their advice. It's, you should at least take it in, really digest it, think about it, you know, and like you said, follow up. And even if you didn't do what they said, if, if it's because you talked to three other experts or because you really thought of some reason not to, you'd love to pick their brain again, that's still a way more of a connection. It's a way more valuable conversation for both sides, more satisfying to the person that gave you advice for free, for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, but if you do follow up, just say, hey, I did the thing you said. This is how it turned out. And then you're more likely to get their attention again to follow back up because they know Absolutely. they're not wasting their time. So what are some of the other things you see when people are get, just getting started that maybe they don't think about? I'm sure we all have, we have the vision, we have the dream. A lot of us are, are big picture people. And there may be some smaller ideas or some, just some things that we don't think about as we're putting these plans together. So I think a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs romanticize the idea of being their own boss. Um, being your own boss is wonderful, but it's also a lot of hard work and it's a different kind of stress that at least to me um, was hard to anticipate. And I think for a handful of other people who got to that realization, it was, it was really surprising. A lot of people stay so busy in the day to day, they don't even realize, but it's very different. For example, I do amazing under external deadlines. I'm, I'm super motivated by wanting to do something for someone else or to meet somebody else's expectation. Um, you wrote all your, your programs and your papers the night before it was due, didn't you? Often, yes. Yeah, very often. Of, I could see that. Unless I had promised to be in a study group with others, right? So I actually got great support in a corporate environment having teams, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but in my own business where a lot of the day-to-day -day work, um, because specifically I don't have a staff, so day-to-day -day work, meaning things like my monthly reports or my daily tasks, it's a big challenge personally to actually create that same sense of urgency or motivation and, and to do those things, to have the corresponding work ethic, you know, in an office environment of course. Course, I'm going to do the monthly reports on time every time other people were receiving them. Right. Somebody's keeping you accountable. Honestly, they weren't even always keeping me accountable, but the fact that I knew that it was due and there was this other person that kept me accountable in and of itself to, to have that same discipline when the only person looking at the, the monthly reports is me. It just, it's, it's different. It's a new kind of stress and it's neat. It's fun to have the, the leeway, but it's pressure because you can also just let everything slide or let some things that you thought you were good at slide. And that's an interesting revelation. Yeah, I found, 
um, in talking to a few folks that you know, they get into it for one thing, but they find themselves spending a lot of time on, on the things they're not good at because those things have to be done, but then they, they're not doing the thing that they they got into the business for in the first place a lot of times or doing less of it because all these other things are taking up their time. Right. And I mean, that's one place where an assistant could help, right? And reporting is definitely a thing I'm great at and even enjoy doing, especially for other people. But it turns out what I really enjoy doing about it is finding the insights, not creating the specific artifact, right? And oh, I'm absolutely. Clearly, so I'm clearly watching my business all the time and getting insights about it all the time. There's not as much motivation to actually create the artifact that I know should be on file. I still do it, but it's, it's funny that I have to talk myself into it. Whereas working with someone else, I'll be like, hmm, I wonder and create like five reports just for fun. Right. Because you're just trying to find that secret piece of information, that nugget, if you will, that'll, right. that'll change the way we do business. Right. And so it's definitely, I guess, like that's my personal version of it. But I've heard a lot of stories from people that are just like, this isn't what I expected. Because it's really hard to anticipate what it'll really feel like being your own boss. So when, when you're, they're saying it's not what they anticipated, is it just that that entire change of motivation? Or is it things that they didn't think they'd have to do they're having to do now? I think in being your own boss, it's, it's funny because nobody isn't accountable to someone else, right? So if that's what you're expecting, it'll be really interesting when you finally understand that you're still accountable to your customers or else you don't have any. Or if you're doing a, a startup that you want to get acquired or that you're taking on funders for, like you're accountable to those people. Like sure, they're not your boss, but nobody really gets completely off the hook. You just get to do it your own way, I suppose. And so you can decide which customers you want to be accountable to. You can decide which person you want as your funding partner. You can decide all kinds of things, but it won't be what you thought. So I've heard that one a lot. Okay. And then, yeah, just the being surprised that the things you thought you were good at are the things that you thought you weren't good at or the things you thought you would spend your time on versus where you actually spend your time. It ends up a little different. There's a program I run about how to learn how to love your job again, where you start keeping track of where you're spending your time and whether or not you enjoy it. And it's basically a way to sort through all of that and like scale it back until you're at least being deliberate with choosing whether or not you're spending your time on things you enjoy and have literally thought through how much better your life would be if you did that thing where you hire an assistant to take care of the stuff you don't like. That sounds like an interesting program. I can't believe we haven't talked about that before. Is that something you, something new you're doing? Yeah, I did it once last year and I plan to do it again this year. So it's pretty much just a once a year thing. Fall back in love with your job kind of thing. A lot of people are surprised at what the new reality becomes. Is that something you're running for your small business clients or is it something you do for like individual contributors? So I ran it as a group class last year um, and I actually did most of it in advance online. So just like on my Instagram account, you could follow along with it. Okay. it February of last year, if you want to take it up. Um, and then I did an in-person, you know, open ticket event for people to come work through all the different ways to rearrange their schedule. 
Interesting. I have to keep an eye out for that. I'm assuming you're going to do it around the same time this year? I like the parody of falling in love with your job as a Valentine's Day theme, so probably yes. (laughs) Nice. Of course. I didn't put that together. This is why I need marketing help. (laughs) (laughs) So we had a good conversation before, and I kind of want to circle back around to it, about how businesses can make both a profit and an impact. And I think you have a, a pretty interesting view on that. Can you tell our listeners about it? A lot of what a business will or won't achieve comes back to the why the business exists, which is the mission. Um, If if you write down why your business is supposed to exist, that is your mission. So if from day one, baked into your business is that the point is to do some good, then everything you do, every decision you make, you're going to think about, does this help me do the most good? Um, If your mission is you know, I want more cats adopted out of the shelter, then everything you're going to do is going to be to get more cats adopted. But if your mission doesn't specify an impact, if you're just like, I'm going to run a charity that helps cats. Okay, helping cats gets close to a purpose-based mission, but it's not very specific. So it's very unlikely that specifically all the cats will get adopted. And if your impact is just to be the best, I don't know, bookkeeper, let's say, the impact that you're going to make on anything other than your own bookkeeping skills is very unlikely. So I guess what I'm saying is whether or not you write down something and title it a mission statement or not, you've got a mission. The mission is whatever you say when somebody asks you why you started your business. So if you decide to sell cookies, you start talking immediately about your passion for baking somewhere in your head, you're still thinking, and I couldn't stand having a desk job, then really your mission is anything baking related that keeps you away from a desk job. And because you didn't say exactly what you like to bake, you haven't given yourself a lot of focus, right? So if somebody that you're having that conversation with goes, awesome, can you do my wedding cake? You're probably going to be like, yes, because it's baking and it's not a desk job. Even though maybe decorating cakes isn't your specialty and you're not sure how you're good at it. And, you know, so maybe what they want is pretty basic. So you're all right. You make it through the wedding cake and somebody else comes up and asks you to cater a meal and you figure you'll make it bread centric because you like baking, not specifically cooking. You get into this place where you've got all these different products. You haven't specified, you haven't specialized, you haven't, you when you've start- got, you know, wedding cakes, you've got catering, and you've got your actual baking of bread, that's a lot of different things, and the costs for creating those things are very different. You're probably making up your pricing in your own head. You've probably purchased some random equipment to do the cake decorating or to do the serving at the catering, and you finally sit down to figure out, you know, because you've been picking up everybody who asked you to do work, you did it. So you're hoping that it's all working out good and that you're making money, but because you were all over the place, you're probably not. You're probably going to sit down and be like, Ooh, it's a lot more in startup costs than I thought it was going to be. I should have charged more for that catering gig. You know, you're just going to be putting in long hours and not replacing your desk job. Not in the long run. That's right. So you're losing your focus. Yeah. You never had one. Yeah. That's probably a better way to say that. If you don't, if that why is not laser focused and you then you'll do things just because you think it's a good idea, but not because it fulfills the actual goal of what you started this thing for. Right. Which is why I understand people wanting to be their own boss. I understand people wanting to have money, 
but neither of those are a good enough reason to start a business. You will be all over the place. You will say yes to anything, which means there's no way you have enough time to research it and make it sustainable. You'll burn the candle at both ends and you won't have money to show for it. So the other extreme, the better way, I suppose, from my point of view, is to pick something meaningful, specific, very focused. Um, so if you say that your mission is to combat childhood food insecurity with your love of baking by creating delicious treats children will eat, but they will also provide 25% of their nutritional needs for the day. That's a great mission, right? Like that's still baking. Very specific. Very specific. And presumably you care about childhood food insecurity, probably for a reason that's a very personal story that would make me cry. Honestly, that's... <laughs> That's really one of my litmus tests for whether or not you're onto something. Like if you start talking about your business and you get so amped up talking about it, I cry easily. But <laughs> if it starts to make me cry a little, like, yep, you have a great business idea because you care about it. And because you care about it, you're never going to get sick of learning about it. You're never going to get sick of doing it. You care and it's specific. It's focused. It's, it's everything you need to be successful to use your, your whole example, it's going to keep you focused on what you want to do. So if somebody calls and says, hey, I want you to do my birth and my wedding cake, you're probably not going to just say yes. There may be some reasons you'd, you'd do it, but it would have to be very specific reasons and, and dealing yeah, with mean, the food insecurity issue. Right. So, you know, if you still can't turn down that client, you've already thought about what your purpose is. So maybe instead of saying no, you say okay, but my focus is on childhood foods insecurity. I presume that's why you're coming to me. So I'm going to make your cake, but I'm also going to charge you enough in doing that. I mean, you probably don't say the part, but your pricing is just based such that the cost for that cake will result in a donation of, say, two dozen zucchini cupcakes to a family shelter or something else that's actually in line with your mission. Like You're going to have that built in to your pricing or into your model or into the what you say yes to because otherwise you weren't doing this business you weren't doing this mission all right that's a great example how to how to make sure that you're you're staying there and so how do you help people if they if they've got a vague idea that maybe isn't quite the food insecurity example that you gave how do you help people tie that down to get get them on focus honestly uh, i sit and talk with them and i just ask questions. Like I said, I can tell pretty easily in someone's voice, you know, I think everybody can when somebody truly gets excited about something, you know, it, it shows. They they talk a little faster usually. They they have a tendency to ramble, right? Because they're talking about something they care about. They want to tell you all about this thing that they care about. So, you know, you ask questions in different directions until they start talking in a way that makes me feel like I'm on to something meaningful to them. If that doesn't have anything to do with the business they were talking about, I ask why. And if I can't find the thing um, or that seems to be a dead end, well, I'll go back and, and, all right, this business that you want to do, why do you want to do that? So it's like the money question. Like, why do you want money? What, is the, what are you going to buy with that money? What are you going to feel like with that money? How are you going to spend the most valuable resource of all? How are you going to spend your time once you have that money? You know, so just why? Because it isn't yeah. money. It's never the why. When you get those people who talk really fast and ramble a good bit about what they're excited about, that's when you send them to me for their speech coaching. <laughs> those are the issues that I deal with. And I can always tell when people 
they're really passionate and they want to talk about this thing. And I'm like, okay, you're just like me. You have to put the reins on. Yeah. Because people can't digest what you're saying. You have to slow down. And it is so difficult to do, but there's some good training to to really get people to slow down and enunciate and let their words land and do their work so their message can be more powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, from my point of view, like I'm not going to teach them how to speak in public necessarily. Um, no, you send them to me. But if, uh, but I do think that they need to mirror that passion with some discipline and put it all down in a business plan that is yeah. organized, that is focused, that paints a picture of exactly how this thing that they're super excited about could be a sustainable way to spend their working hours. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm going to end the podcast. The, the way I, the way I have, it was a surprise for at least our first couple of guests, but if you've listened to one, you may know what's coming. Tell me what you're doing today to be better tomorrow. I'm here talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good start. Yeah. Um, and actually you know, podcasting has been sort of in the back of my mind for a while. I think you and I had our first conversation about this months ago. Yeah, it's uh, been a few. Yeah, and I, uh, I went to an actual podcasting class in the meantime, um, and I came up with an idea, which is, which is why I have a microphone um, to be able to talk into. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to try to... Um, I have a theme, I guess, for this year of this idea that we're greater together. And it's sort of that thing we were just talking about with, you know, your brain, if you get stuck, there's other people out there. There's, there are ways to make the most of your time and to make your idea better by getting feedback from other people, from putting yourself out there. So I'm going to talk to people about exactly those things, right? Um, and we'll see how it goes. I, uh, I'm very interested in talking to people. I've always loved talking to people, love talking to people about their business um, and about what they've learned. I'm still a little on the fence about podcasting, but um, my husband is a musician who's very into sort of playing with audio tracks and audio production and stuff like that. So we'll see. Um, but either way, the entire theme of my year for 2019 is going to be this idea that we are greater together and hopefully there will be a podcast involved as well. That sounds interesting. So you're going to like just have people on to brainstorm with them or. So I'm literally going to start asking people, you know, what did they stop wasting their time on? What did they stop doing? What did they let go of control on? Like how did they learn how to move away from being that all in your own head and, taking just an extra year to get it exactly right mm, okay. to actually being greater. All right. That sounds, that sounds like it'll at least be inspirational till I get there. And then, then maybe I can be on there and I'll have something that I gave up because right now I'm still in that control freak mode. I'm trying to get rid of it. <laughs> I think you're further along than you think. I think, um, I think it's funny. My husband actually uh, talked about, as an idea, like, would I go back and interview the same person every year? And I honestly don't know, um, because I do think it's very different at each stage, right? Yeah. Starting out versus scaling versus I've done this for two years and I still feel weird about some stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it's, but it's, a, it's a constant thing. It's, it's not a one-time struggle and then you're done. <laughs> well, that's great. Rachel, I thank you for your time. and. Uh, 
Thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure you check us out at BeBetterTomorrow.com. All the social medias are there. You can follow us. Make sure you like and subscribe. Wherever great podcasts are found, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the best. So until next time, do something today so you can be better tomorrow. Thanks again to our guest, Rachel Kershaw. She's at greatercolumbusconsulting.com, and you can find all of her social media contacts there. The music you're hearing is by Kevin McLeod of Income Tech, used under Creative Commons 3.0 license. This show is also released under Creative Commons licensing, so you can use it however you want in any non-commercial endeavor as long as you give me credit and give me some link love while you're there. If you're still listening to this, it's because you're driving your car and don't want to try to change over to a different station, and I appreciate that. Just ask that when you get somewhere safe, you go ahead and like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever great podcasts are found. And if you really care about me, leave me a five-star review somewhere so other people can find us as well. 